This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, we're in this series, Go With God. And I pray that it's a blessing to you this morning. We're going to be preaching sermon number three. And I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you will, today and turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter five. But I'm going to call your attention to verse one and two. And today's message is entitled, Watching and Waiting. And I do pray that it will be a blessing to you. There's some significant Bible truths in today's message that I want to share with you. And perhaps you want to write some of these down. In Exodus chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, now, here's where I want you to pay close attention because he asked two very important questions. He said, who is the Lord? And that's going to be significant in some of the sermons in this series yet to come. But he begins to say, number one, who is the Lord? And then he asked right behind that, and why should I obey him? So keep those two questions in mind. Who is the Lord and why should I obey him? Why should I obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Last Sunday we talked about in the introduction of our message, the great basketball legend Michael Jordan. This Sunday, I want to mention briefly and bring up something about the legendary boxing champion, Mike Tyson. Two different mics, but I want you to listen to this. Because in my preparation for this sermon and the research I did, some of these statistics that I'm going to give you staggers the imagination. In 1986, at the age of 20 years old, think about that. At the age of 20 years old, Mike Tyson broke the record of being the youngest heavyweight champion of the world. And in the following years, he became the biggest icon in sports history. As he is listed as one of the most successful heavyweight boxers in all of history. And listen to this. With a 50-6 to six record, 44 of those matches were won with knockouts. They say that getting hit by Mike Tyson was like getting hit by a 220-pound hand barbell. Think about that. Being dropped at the height of five feet and that, they say, was the average strength and push in every punch he landed. Imagine a two, being hit by a 220-pound barbell with every single punch. 
I can remember when I was a kid when they showed matches like that on television. We'd sit around and we'd watch these fights and I can remember some of the conversation as children going from one to another and one would ask this person, what would it take you to jump in the ring with Mike Tyson? <laughs> and you'd be surprised at some of the answers that people would come up with. So I remember some would say, I would do it for a million dollars. Haven't we all said something like that? They said, I would just, I'd just go in there and I'd stand up. I'd get hit one time. I would get knocked out. I would deal with the concussion. And then I'd go to the bank. <laughs> well, we all know that that's hypothetical. But the real question this morning is this, as I spiritualize this just for a moment, and it's not hypothetical. What would it take for you to get in the ring with God? That's something totally different. And most people refuse to look at it as a reality. But the truth of the matter is this. He calls us all to get in the ring with him. If he were to beckon you to do that, because he's no respecter of persons, would you be willing to get in there? Oh, yes, God, count me and I'll get in there with you. While there are probably many who would like to say they would, but the truth of the matter is there's only a few of us who would actually be willing to get in the ring with him for different reasons than struggling and conflict and fighting. The reality is this morning, as we see in the series, Go With God, and we're going to see it develop a little bit better further down the road. But if God were to call us into the ring, you and I both know it wouldn't be about just standing there. It wouldn't be about just shooting the breeze with him. If God calls us into the ring, it's because he's got something on his mind that he wants to share with us. And from the get-go, I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, through conviction, as God's Spirit would beckon us to walk with God, to speak with God, to get in the ring with him and have communion and fellowship, I think there would be a lot of people that would say, I'm not interested in that at all, preacher. It kind of reminds me of the old, old song that says, just build me a cabin over in glory. And a lot of people have this idea. I'm not interested in, in the fight. I'm not interested in the struggle. I'm not interested in all of that religion stuff. Listen, I, I believe in heaven and hell. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But listen, all I'm not even interested in the crowns. I just don't want to go to hell. So build me a cabin somewhere over in glory. The truth of the matter is this. There are no cabins in glory. And if you have a Bible that says, in my father's house are many houses, listen, I hate to disappoint you, but that's not what the word says. As a believer in hope in Christ, in my father's house are many mansions. So all of us in Christ are far better than millionaires. We are heirs to the royalty of heaven. In my father's house are many mansions. Now look at this. 
Many people, though, as God, the Holy Spirit, would beckon us to get in the ring and do some business with God, whatever it is he would like to do with our lives and through our lives. There's a lot of people, again, that would say, I'm not interested in that. I mean, it's just like staying at home a year after COVID. And think about this. Many people have got used to that. And they have got used to looking God in the, they know what the Holy Spirit is. I mean, you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. It, it takes the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. You just don't wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to go in there and sign that card and I want them to shake my hand and I want them to welcome me into the church. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit begins to deal with you. And, and there is, by the way, no certain age for that. There's, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to be 12 years old to be saved. But I will tell you this, if you are saved, you know who the Holy Spirit is. You, you have felt him move in your heart with conviction and to bring you unto conviction. And so if God, the Holy Spirit, is bringing you beyond those early days that you can remember when the Spirit of God convicted you about sin in your soul and you said yes to God, the same Holy Spirit at times draws us to have a closer relationship with the Lord, closer fellowship, closer communion. But I'm afraid that as time goes by, a lot of people with callousness in their hearts and apathy, they say, no, I'm not interested. You know, I don't want to die and go to hell. Build me a cabin over there. I don't want any of that other stuff. I'm satisfied the way that I am. And the Holy Spirit is saying, but come, get in the ring. God's wanting to do business with you. God's wanting to speak to you. Many people have got used to looking God in the eye and say, no, thank you. Nope, not me, not today. Because we know this. If God, the Holy Spirit, is calling us to get in the ring, he is going to come always with a hard-hitting punch. The punch of time. Because you see, when God calls us most of the time into the ring with him, usually God's way takes time. Usually God's way is more complicated than we want to invest in. Usually, when God calls us into the ring, it doesn't take just time. It's not just complicated, but it requires a sacrifice. Most of the time, when God calls us in the ring, it, he also adds a little bit of humility to it. So, we know that. We know how the Holy Spirit works. We know that God just doesn't want to kill time with us. We know that when God beckons us to get into the ring, there's a reason for it. He's got something to say. He's got something he wants us to hear. But often we respond to that and say, no, thank you, God. No, not today. Not me. I'm too busy. And by the way, God, let me say this. My way is a whole lot easier than your way. Your way is too complicated for me. I don't have time for the spiritual lessons that you want me to learn. Now you think about that just for a moment. Somebody might say, God, if we do things your way, then I don't, I, I'm going to be strapped down with making commitments. I'm going to have to give up time. I'm going to have to invest some sacrifice. 
But God, if I do things my way, I don't have to make commitments. I don't have to be accountable. So in today's message, we're going to be able to see that this exact kind of thing was happening with those who were calling themselves followers of God. And I want you to look at this because we can see it with Moses and we can see it with Pharaoh. These two guys are two individuals who looked God in the face and said, no, nope, not me, God. I want you to see again in Exodus chapter 5, verse number 1 and 2, and afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, again, these two questions I called to your attention. He asked two significant questions. Who is the Lord? And then why should I obey him? That I should obey his voice to let Israel go. He said, I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Nope, I'm not doing it. The questions that Pharaoh asked is said, who is the Lord? And why should I obey him? Now, when I look at this a little closer, I will say that these two questions, they have a spirit or an element of ignorance, but at the same time, they have a flair of arrogance to it. The truth is, he really does not know Yahweh yet. And I want you to keep in mind that the Egyptians, they have gods for everything. Everything imaginable, they have all kinds of gods, hundreds of them. So Pharaoh is probably wondering, when Moses is giving him this message, thus saith the Lord, Pharaoh's probably saying, Moses, which God are you talking about? We have hundreds of gods. He's probably wondering, and what powers does this God have? What part of the universe does this God control? And so when Moses comes into him and says that Yahweh says, let his people go, Pharaoh is saying, who is he? I I know hundreds of gods in Egypt, but, but this one I don't know. Who is he? What does he do? What powers does he have? What part of the universe does he control? Because he does not know him. And because he doesn't know him, like he knows hundreds of other gods, he begins to instantly push back and says, nope, not me. I'm not doing it. He he already concludes that no matter who this Yahweh is, he's already convinced himself that the gods that I know and me, the Pharaoh of Egypt, Moses, we together are much more powerful than this God, this guy you call Yahweh. And so he absolutely, boldly, unequivocally says, no, I'm not doing it. Who is this man? And why should I obey him? And when I study this, even though Pharaoh was totally wrong with this assumption and this conclusion, he was probably less critical than most professing believers. Because many professing believers, they look at God, whom they know who he is, And they look him straight in the eye when they know the spirit of God. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. We know the voice of God. We know who he is. And there's many people 
who know who he is and looks him straight in the eye and says, no way, not me. I'm not doing it. Now, in this story, I want you to understand something here. And we have to remember this. There's probably an estimate now of over 400,000 Hebrew men who are slaves in Egypt. Now, this is what is at stake. If you're not familiar with the background of the story and the, and, and the in and outs of this whole dilemma, let me remind you of something. Moses, what he's asking Pharaoh to do, and Pharaoh knows it, it will utterly collapse the entire Egyptian economy. I mean, every single thing in Egypt will go south and it will change from power to fortune to comfort, from the perception of other kings and other lands. And so when Pharaoh is confronted with this, he's thinking, who is this guy? And, and why should I obey him? Moses, listen now, if I do what you're telling me this God is asking me to do, everything in Egypt is going south, it will collapse the entire economy. And so when Pharaoh's confronted with this, he is thinking what it all means for him in all of Egypt. And so he quickly says, no way, I'm not doing that. Absolutely not, it's not worth it. Moses, this God of yours is not going to take everything from me. He is not going to take anything from Egypt. So let me spiritualize this just for a moment today. How would you respond if God were to ask you to do something really incredible? How would you respond if God asked you to do something so sacrificial, I mean, would you begin to wrestle with yourself and ask, why would God, Yahweh, why would God, El Shaddai, Elohim, Adonai, why would God ask me to do something of this nature? Why should I say yes to such a ridiculous thing that God would ask of me? Number one in your bulletin today, why should we say yes? Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, because he is the creator of the universe and the author of life. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 28, the word said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far away from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He's the creator and author of life, number two, because one day he will judge the world. In Acts 17, verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day that in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, 
whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Number three, letter C, it's because he and he alone who has rescued us from the power of darkness. In Colossians chapter one, verse 13, Paul said this, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. That word blood is an important word for your Bible. Make sure that word isn't missing in the version you have in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness, even the forgiveness of sins. Number four in letter D, why should we obey him? Because it is he who promises that all things work together for our good when we're in a right relationship with him. And Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And really there's a letter E, that I'd like to attach, and maybe you should write this in your bulletin as well. Number five, why should we obey him? Listen carefully. Because no one in the scripture ever came out a winner who refused to do so. And that should be a light and an example to all of us. And so when God is calling for us to step in the ring with him, I assure you it's with plan and purpose, and remember that. And the enemy knows this, by the way. That is why he doesn't waste any time causing us fear and doubt and confusion. He knows when we're under conviction. He knows when we are listening to God, when we are ready to hear from heaven. Listen, it doesn't just captivate the angels. It doesn't just captivate God. When we are about to embark on this thing of surrender, listen, it doesn't just get heaven's attention. I can assure you that it gets the attention of hell as well. When God begins to speak, that's when the devil immediately will step up in your life and begin to interfere. One of the first responses that believers have, when God begins to call them, when God begins to beckon them, the Spirit of God is moving us to a place from here to here, and we know God is wanting to do something. We feel it. We know what the Holy Spirit is. We know who he is. We know the power that he has. But a lot of times we, when we feel that in our lives, we immediately say no. God, I'm not, I don't want to listen to that. And we start running from God. And most of the time when we start running from God, we have no idea what we're running from. The plan and purpose that he has for us. All we know is that we do not want to get in the ring with God because that's a serious matter. It's serious business. I think the reason for this is because we cannot see what's on the other side of obedience. God, the Holy Spirit beckons us to step in this ring and we say no and begin to run because, listen, most of the time, we can't see over here. God's wanting to take us over there. God's wanting to do something to our lives, with our lives, through our lives. And before God is given the opportunity to do something great over here, we begin to run because we can't see over there. And here's the thing, we don't know where we're running from. I want you to think about that just for a minute. So back to our story, Pharaoh is totally unconcerned about what Moses is saying. Number two this morning in your bulletin, we must never forget that God is good and powerful and trustworthy. Not only does Pharaoh not let the people go, but look at this. 
he now becomes obsessed with making life extremely more difficult for the Hebrews than before. In Exodus 5.9, he says this in a fit of rage to what Moses is saying. He is saying, I'm not going to let him go. And by the way, verse 9, let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein and let them not regard vain words. Now, in this process, I want you to see this. God's teaching Moses that he already knows what's going on and he already knows how Pharaoh is going to respond to this. So God is putting Moses in a position to see and experience the full span of his omnipotence, his power. And so God is teaching Moses, hold on Moses, watch and wait. I know he is repetitiously saying no, but I want you to be still. I want you to be patient. I want you to watch and wait. Be patient, Moses. When I'm done with this thing, God is saying to Moses, when I get finished with him, I know you've been to him and said, let my people go. And I know he has said, no, no, no. I'm very much aware of that. But Moses, when I get through with him, he is going to be begging you to take these Hebrews away from him. Now the taskmasters, they are getting cut off of their supplies and they're still being required to do the same amount of work. And because of that, all of the Hebrews are going into a panic mode. Everybody's getting upset. That's what we have a tendency to do with God at times. God may be wanting to get our attention. God may be wanting us to get in the ring. He might have a message, a word for us for the particular season that we're going through in our life. And when the Holy Spirit begins to work and deal with us and we know who he is, we get in a panic mode. We get worried. We get all shook up because we know that when he speaks, when he moves, it's going to require some obedience. And that requires faith. And that will ultimately, listen now, obedience and faith, if we walk in those steps, it's going to move us out of our comfort zones. That's where we're most content in church in a comfort zone. We're way too busy doing things our way or doing our own thing. Our schedules are full. We got appointments. We got this. We got that. And we know that if we slow down the pace in our life and really give ear to the Holy Spirit who's beckoning us to get in the ring. Listen, there's a plan. There's a purpose. There's a message from God. In this season of your life, there is something he wants you to see. There's something he wants you to know. And we know this, that if we slow down the pace in our life to listen to this, to give him our attention, we know that many times it's going to require us not only to cut back on the pace that we're living in, but a lot of times if God's beckoning us to get in the ring, it's going to require us to be still 
And we think, oh, I don't have time. I do not have time to be still. My life is a hamster's wheel. Things are just going on rambunctiously and I don't have time to be still. In Psalms 46, 10, be still, the word says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. But we don't like to be still. And we keep adding so much stuff to our life and we're constantly, we don't have time to change our mind most of the times. Because when we are still, and I'm not talking about just slow down, I'm talking about when we are still, we can hear God speak. We have to remember that he knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what we not only need it, but he knows exactly what he wants in our lives. Now, at this point, listen now, Pharaoh could care less about the additional work for the Hebrews. It didn't move him one single bit. In fact, in verse 6 and through 8 in chapter 5, look at this. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no more give the people straw to make brick. And heretofore, let them go and gather straw for themselves and the tail of the bricks, which they did make heretofore, you shall lay upon them. You shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. All right, now here's what was happening. And, and all of this stuff, and Pharaoh saying, you know what? This is irritating me. I'm, I'm agitated. I'm aggravated. Moses, you need to leave me alone. And because you keep doing this, listen, I'm going to increase the work. I'm not going to let them go. And I'm going to keep increasing the work. And I'm going to cut back on the supplies they need. And they're going to have to find out what they need and get it themselves. I don't care how they do it. But at the end of the day, they're still going to have this done and even much more done. So Moses says, okay, listen, before you implement all this stuff, will you give us a three-day holiday? Will you give us an opportunity to go into the wilderness and pray and, and, and sacrifice unto the Lord? Look at verse 3. They said, the God of the Hebrews had met with us. Let us go. We pray. Three days. That's what Moses had three days in the journey in the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But you have to understand something here, that God had already seen the outcome of this. He already knew what was going to happen here. And the spiritual truth to that this morning is this. He always, you see, when, when God's beckoning us to get in the ring, we know we have to be still to get the message. And if we be still, it's going to require some obedience. We run because we cannot see what that obedience requires or what's necessary for it. So we begin to run when we don't know what we're running from. All we know is that we do not want to slow down our life and listen to God because he has a message for us. And here is the thing. We have to remember this. In all of the fast pace of our life, what we're doing on a daily basis in our life, okay, we're busy. We got to go here, there. We got to be here. And today's world, I mean, we, we have to uh, check the internet. We got to take kids to the ball games. We got to uh, do the yard. We got to clean the house. We got all this stuff we're doing. And so here's the thing we don't slow down enough to listen to God. If we do, we know we got to be still to hear exactly what He wants. The truth of the matter is this none of us take time to see the big picture 
that God has for us. We're too busy running on a hamster's wheel, looking at the moment. But God sees way more than a moment in our life. He sees the big picture. Now, this stuff that Pharaoh's doing to the people, they're getting discouraged, they're getting tired, but Moses assures them, hey, don't fret, don't quit, don't give up. God knows where we're at. I've talked with him. He is going to deliver us. And so what they do in this despondency, they bow down and worship. It's okay, then we're going to worship him. Look at verse number 31, chapter 4, verse 31. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, notice what they did. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped. So listen, don't be quick to dismiss God when things do not look good in your life. When things are going south, don't give up on him. He deserves and he has certainly earned our trust over and over and over again. Don't ever forget, number three this morning, that the devil will never ever just sit by idle when God's calling you in the ring, when God has a message for you, when you're slowing down, when you're being still. Don't ever think now that the devil's going to quit. Okay, he doesn't call a time out from chasing you and running you down. When you are being still with God, the devil's not saying, okay, hold on just a minute now. He's with God. We got to stop. Don't ever think that at all. In Job 1, 17, quickly get it up here, fellas. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and he carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants. I mean, one thing after another in Job's life, it's going south all the way. And he says this, the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. I'm sure Job was asking, could it get any worse than what it is? In Revelation 12, verse 10, get it quick, fellas. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, look at this, is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. The devil doesn't call a timeout. He doesn't take a holiday. He's never going on vacation. I can tell you that he is going to be the accuser of the brethren day and night. He will not stop. In less than 48 hours from the time the Hebrews stopped and worshipped, things got a whole lot worse. I hope you can see in the story that the real deal that's going on here is that the devil is trying to divert God's plan. Now think about this just for a minute. And he's also trying very earnestly to discourage the hearts of his people. Right at the time that God was about to do something great for his people, I'm talking about incredible, miraculous, supernatural, the devil, he goes into overdrive. And let me assure you that that's the same thing he will do for you and I. The devil, by the way, let me mention something to you. The devil is not imaginary. He's not the boogeyman. He's just as real as God. And he has the home address for every single one of us. 
As soon as God gets ready to do a big work in somebody's life, I will tell you that the enemy comes hard and fast and to overdrive in most violent ways. He will do that. I can promise you this, that when the Lord is about ready to do something in your life for the season that you're going through, he's about ready to do a work in your life, the enemy will show up as well. He will not waste any time. I'm talking about, listen carefully, this is how it normally works for me. I'm sure because we are alike that it works the same way for you. Sometimes that old song that says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Many times in my life, I'm sure you've experienced it as well. When we are camping near the cross, I'm talking about you have had the most Christ-honoring week. You have put God first in everything. You have spent time in praise. You have spent time in worship. You have shared the gospel. You have testified. You have been still and listening to God. I promise you, you can mark it down. While God's working in your life in a most personable way, the enemy will be standing over your shoulder and just be waiting for an opportunity to show up and to cause you havoc. He will do it. Most of the time when you have done everything that you know to be right and that you know is in accordance with God, I'm talking, listen now, he will send some kind of crisis in your life. His goal is to hijack your heart and your faith. That's exactly what he's doing in this story with the Hebrews, number four. The enemy will always seek to destroy what God is doing in your life, always. In Job 10, verse 10, listen quickly, fellas, get it on the screen. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, I think we're all familiar with this verse. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he had sowed some seeds, fell by the wayside, and the fowls, look at this, and the fowls came, or the demons come, or the devil shows up. The fowls came and devoured them all up. That's exactly what the devil wants to do in all of our lives. Whenever you set out, listen, when the Holy Spirit beckons you to get in the ring, And and you reluctantly, you say, oh, man, 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 God, why now? I know it's going to require some obedience. I know it's going to require some time. I know it's going to require some sacrifice. But here am I. Listen, you can guarantee yourself Whenever you set out to do something great for God and you surrender to the voice, you can always count on some kind of hardship. That is a given. I'm telling you, some kind of disturbance, never forget this. 
In 1 Peter 4.12, beloved, think not it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. We all have seasons in our life where things are not going to be happy-go-lucky all the time. Things are going to be like you just bounce into one problem after another. You just cannot seem to get two feet going in the same direction in a positive mode. You take one step forward, you take two steps backwards, and you're saying, but I don't get this, God. I'm doing everything that I know to be right. I'm in the word, I'm sharing the word, I'm testifying of the word, I'm saying my prayers, I'm trying to live right, I'm going to church, I give my tithes, I'm serving the Lord. All these things I know what to do and God, it just seems like that everything is getting worse. Wow. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Listen, the enemy wants you to stop and get out of the ring before you even get started. But hold on to James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Look, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number five, how's the enemy after you right now? Somebody might be saying, I I don't believe in all that stuff. I believe in chance and luck, doing things my way. You know, Elvis, he had a great song. I like the song, but it's totally wrong in doctrine and theory. He said, I did it my way. But here's the thing. You can do it your way all day long. But your way, my way, is not God's way. He said, my way is not your way. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And we can try to wrestle with him and do it our way all day long, but we'll never come out ahead. You might say, I just don't believe in all. Listen, I beg you not to underestimate the power of the enemy. I believe there's some people in this room who get it. You've been tested. You've been tried. You've been in the ring. And yeah, you had to give up some things in your life. You had to give some time. You had to obey. You had to sacrifice. You had to slow down. And then you had to stop and shut down all the commotion in life. You had to be still. Some of you in here get it, and you have done it. And you know very well that in this process that the enemy is constantly after you, and he's after He's after this season in your life. He knows that you're on the threshold of a, of a supernatural miracle. Listen, the Hebrews, they didn't know what God was going to do. They didn't know God's timing. They didn't know when God was going to open the gates and let them go. So when things didn't happen the way they expected, what they did was this. Yeah, the word says, hey, they when they heard some good news, the Bible says they lifted up their hands and began to worship the Lord. Oh, this is great. But then all of a sudden when things went south, they threw their hands down. They got mad some. They got angry with Moses. They got frustrated. They marched themselves back in. And listen carefully. That was the whisper of the devil. That was, a, that was the power of the enemy. And when we're not able to identify what the enemy's doing in our life, we will be prone to do the same thing. We'll have the greatest week of our life praising God, 
giving God the praise and worshiping him, lifting up holy hands, and then it goes south. And the enemy is saying, look at you, you fool. Look at you, you're raising hands up to God, you're praising the Lord, and you're doing all this. Look at you, fool. And then you begin to listen to that, and you begin to get feared up and festered and worried and scared. And you say, yeah, why is, why is God allowing this? And I'm doing all of these things. The enemy will be whispering those things and panic will spread over you like a cancer. And then we become a conduit. We become a lightning rod for the enemy. If we don't resist him, he will overwhelm us and you can count on him fighting. So Moses, he turned to the Lord in a very discouraged way. And he, even then, he begins to question God himself. In Ephesians or Exodus 5, verse 22, the word says, And Moses returned unto the Lord, Let my musicians come, please, for this moment. And the Lord said, Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name. Listen, Moses down in dumps. Things are going south not like he had hoped for and not like all this mighty deliverance was going to come. He is now depressed. He's down in the dumps. The people are down in the dumps. Everybody's discouraged. And verse 23, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered the people at all. He says, hey God, ever since that experience I had with you. I've had nothing but trouble. And he's saying this, God, I did what you asked. I'm here in this palace. I'm speaking in your name. I, I did the whole burning bush thing, God. I, I, I did the snake and the rod thing. I, I did the leprosy thing. I, and now look what's happening. You broke your promises to me, God. And while Moses is fuming and discouraged and venting to God. God, listen now, God's just standing there patient listening to all this. Moses crying and whining like a baby. It ought not to be this way, God. I love you, I serve you, I did all this stuff. I stepped in the ring, I surrendered. And Moses whining, God's standing there just listening to him vent. And when Moses is finished, maybe, maybe God spoke to his heart, I don't know. Maybe God spoke to his heart and said, now, are you through? Are you finished? And I don't know, maybe the spirit moved Moses. He got under conviction. I don't know, maybe he said, yeah. Listen to this. When Moses was finished in chapter six, verse number one, then the Lord said unto him, said unto Moses, now, you finish whining? Now shalt thou see what I will do. To Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of the land. God says, okay, if you finish whining, Moses, just watch and wait. And remember this, that I am the Lord. Let me show you something in closing, very significant. In chapter 6, verse 2 and 8, I want you to follow this. This gave me a chill in my study. I don't know what it'll do for you, but it gave me a chill. Look at this. So when God says to Moses, are you finished? Are you, are you through whining and crying and complaining? 
Now, now listen, just watch and wait. Be still. Let me show you what I'm going to do. And God says this in verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, Look, underline this in your Bible. I am the Lord. Verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the name of God Almighty. Let me speed read through this. Look at verse 4. I have. In verse 5, I have. In verse 6, I am the Lord. I will. I will. I will. Verse 7, I will. I will. I am the Lord. Verse 8, I will. I did. I will. I am the Lord. Moses, just watching what God had given. Listen, God didn't give him any responsibilities. God is just simply saying over and over and over again, Moses, I will. I did. I will. I am the Lord. I have. I will. I did. I am the Lord. And Moses sitting over there, not knowing what to say. He just finished crying his eyes out, crying the blues. So when he makes all of these declarations to Moses, God says to Moses, this will be your job. Because I have, I did, I will, I am the Lord, I will, I have, I did, I am the Lord. He said, now, this is going to be your job. Just step back. Because I have, I will, I did, I am the Lord, I have, I will, I did, I am the Lord. Step back. All I want you to do now, son, is to watch and wait. Wait for me and watch what I'm going to do. Spend some time in worship. I want to close with this. I'm five minutes over, but that's okay. You're okay with it? Listen, it don't matter. (laughs) Never forget this. God is never bound by our circumstances. And that worth two minutes? God is never bound by, and by the way, God not only is not bound by our circumstances, he specializes in using them. The only thing is, we we just got to be willing to step in the ring. Nothing about Pharaoh intimidated God. And let me say this, none of our troubles rattle him either. All of us have troubles, and yet God desires to use them all. It's really amazing what he wants to do in our life. Let me encourage you to get to a place where you're just willing. Okay, you know the Holy Spirit. You know what's going on. You know the deal. Get in the ring. Stop. And listen. Just get in the ring with him. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.